Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. The Word of God Church is alive. It's powerful. It's effective. Amen. And so the last few weeks, I've been honored to be able to just minister from God's Word and And I've been talking to you for the last several weeks about the topic of prayer. Amen? How many of you know that we need to pray? Amen. How many of you know that we don't pray enough? Amen. We don't pray enough sometimes. And the truth of the matter is that we need to to really connect with the Lord once again. And we need to realize that prayer is our life source. Amen? Prayer is the very thing that is connecting us to the power of God. Without prayer and without a lifestyle of pray, prayer, we, we lack the power. Amen? So when we pray, we are endowed with power from on high. The Lord is able to, to bless us. He's able to, to, to you know, give us an anointing. He's able to just do things and work in and through us because of our lifestyle of prayer. Amen? So it's important for us to pray. And over the past few weeks, I, I want to just kind of give you a quick recap of a few things that we learned about prayer. And and prayer is this, it's personal time spent with Jesus. Amen? How many of you took a a few moments today to to spend time with the Lord? Amen? Raise your hand if you did that. The Lord woke me up at 3.30. (laughs) I testified on Sunday about (laughs) a thing that had happened to me for for a few years, a couple years back, and and guess what? Today I woke up at 3.30 and I was like, Lord, you got to be kidding me. 3.30 3.30 on a, on, a, on a Wednesday night, and we have service at 7, and I was like, Lord. But the Lord prompted me to pray. And, you know, the Lord is always looking for invitations and, and, and moments and, and, and times where he can connect with his children. Did you know that? You know, he is a good father. The Lord is a good father. He's not an absent father. He's not away. He's not distant. But he actually longs to spend time with his children. Amen. And so the Lord woke me up early, early this morning, and, and I just heard the Lord just kind of just prompting my heart, like wanting to spend time with me. And for me, it's 3.30 in the morning because guess what? Nobody else is awake. <laughs> and he knows that he can get my undivided attention at 3.30 in the morning. And I don't know about you, but you know what? Maybe God has to wake you up at 3, 4, 5 in the morning, or, or maybe you stay up, you know, to the midnight hour after everybody, your family might fall asleep, and, and that's your opportunity to connect with God. But here's the deal. We have to spend that time with him. It's so few moments, church, and there's so many, there's so few, you know, opportunities to really take advantage of prayer anymore because we find ourselves distracted and pulled in every direction because of life. How many of you know that it's harder to pray at lunchtime? Amen? It's harder to pray in the middle of the day when you're at work. It's harder to pray when you're, you know, in the middle of school or you're doing a project or you're with a group of people. It's more challenging to pray. And so I would encourage you to seek the Lord when he may be found. To to seek after him and to pursue him in those moments when it's you and him and you can give him your undivided attention. Everybody look at me for a second. I have your attention. Divided attention looks like this. Anybody ever talk to a person, they're like, mm, yeah, yeah. Uh. And you're like, where do you want to go eat? Huh? 
What's, what's the matter with that conversation? It's divided. They're trying to talk to two people at the same time. Texting is a, is a nice uh, invention and all that, all that good stuff, but it's probably the most distracting thing that causes people to lose their attention. Causes people to get in car accidents because they're trying to text and, and talk at the same time and when they should be focused on the road and driving. And so the Lord will look at opportune times to get your undivided attention. He will prompt you. He will move your heart. He will, he will just nudge you in the, in the early hours of the morning and he will just find that time to say, spend time with me. Come away with me. How many of you want to get away with Jesus? Amen. Sometimes we want to just get away. Don't just get away from life. Don't just get away from circumstance. Don't just get away from responsibility. Listen, get away with the Lord and spend time with him. Amen. When we spend time in the presence of God, we become like the one that we engage with. Amen. So we learn that in Matthew 6 and 6. It says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. It says, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So knowing you're not just shouting words to the air actually helps to focus and direct your prayer. Amen? Because who is present in the room? Your Father in heaven. So now it's not just, you know, prayer that's just like, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just throwing them out there and I'm just hoping that God's going to catch one of them. But it's actually focused prayer because you know the one who is sitting across from you. The reward in our time of prayer is the person of the Holy Spirit. And so I would challenge you to go into prayer, not to perform the action of prayer as much as you are just simply aware of the one who is with you. Amen. Part two, yet, uh, on Sunday we talked about fervent prayer resulting in answered prayer and reverent submission. Fervent prayer results in an answered prayer and reverent submission. Let's read this with me tonight. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. It says, During the days of Jesus' life on the earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was what? What was he? It should be there. And he was heard. There, sorry. I was trying to find it. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. A son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. I, say, I shared this quote on Sunday. F.B. Meyer said this, The greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. It's not an unanswered prayer. Sometimes we think, oh, God didn't answer my prayer. No, 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 no my friend. God answers all prayer. The difference, though, is did he answer it the way that you wanted him to? The difference is did God respond when you wanted him to and how you wanted him to? But it's not that God didn't respond and it's not that God didn't hurt. Here, the Bible says that his ear is attentive to the cries of his people. His ear is not dull that he cannot hear you. His ear is actually well, well acquainted with everybody. And he knows how to hear his children. But the greatest tragedy is the unoffered prayer. Some of us go through things constantly and we're bombarded by the attacks of the enemy. And yet we don't pray about it. We complain. We call up our sister. We call up our brother. We say, oh man, I'm going through all this. And listen, that's good. 
Thank God for people. Thank God for confidants. Thank God for people that you can lean on. But listen, the Lord is saying, pray. Pray. Pray about it. Bring it to me. The Bible talks in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said this. He said, he said those of you who are weary and burdened, come to me and I will what? I will give you rest. Prayer leads us into that place of, of, of rest in the Lord. Hopefully it's not falling asleep. <laughs> but it's rest for your soul. The restlessness that we experience oftentimes is because we haven't prayed about it. We haven't addressed the Lord about it. Living for the will of God is reverent submission. And it keeps the ears of God tuned to your prayer. That's exactly what Hebrews is talking about. 1 Peter 3 and 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You see, there is something that you can have. You can have a confidence in approaching the Lord because you are living in righteousness. But I wouldn't be very confident in my prayers if I wasn't living a righteous life. If I wasn't living submitted to the Lord, if I was living and I was backslidden in some kind of sin, then my friend, the Bible says that the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. What do the prayers of the righteous offer? No power and no effect. Connecting and staying connected to the Lord is paramount. It is everything. Because if I disconnect myself from the life source, then I am no longer righteous. It's his blood that makes me righteous. It's abiding in him that makes me righteous. It's connect, being connected to him on a daily basis that causes the righteousness of God to pour over my life. E.M. Bounds said, walking with God down the avenues of prayer, we acquire something of his likeness. And unconsciously, we become witnesses to others of his beauty and his grace. So when you pray, all of a sudden, it, it changes you into an individual that begins to reflect God. You begin to go about your world and your, and your day and your society, and you become an individual that begins to witness about Jesus. You've sat with the King of Kings. And so because you've sat there, because you've bowed before him, because you've spoken to him, you're now equipped to speak of him. I want to continue tonight, and I want us to proceed. I shared that acronym with you. P is personal time with God. R is reverence in prayer. And A is asking. So tonight we're going to talk about asking just for a few moments. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew 7 and verse 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. It says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Let's pray for the word tonight. Lord, we bless your name and we thank you. And God, we just pray for your holy word, Lord, that, Father, these seeds, Father God, that would just flow tonight, God, would rest in good soil, Father God. I pray that our hearts are open, Lord, our ears are open, God, and we're ready to receive that which you have for us tonight, Lord. And so, Father, we receive your word tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage of Scripture is probably one of the most misused verses in the Bible. 
This passage of scripture is one of those verses that people, you know, kind of, they kind of get wrong and they twist it and they want to apply it in a certain way to their life. And so, because people automatically assume that you can just ask God for anything. Now, while I could show you many other verses that do say that you can ask him for anything and you can ask whatever you wish in his name, I want us to understand something about the asking. While we can ask whatever we want, it doesn't mean that it's going to be given to us. Amen? How many of you would like a new car? You know, you can say, oh, Jesus. Oh, man, everybody, I saw a bunch of heads go up. How many of you would like lower gas prices? All right, raise your hand. (laughs) We can ask for a lot of things, but here's the deal. Does it line up with his will? Does it line up with his will? I could ask the Lord and say, Lord, God, I, I want you to just, you know, Lord, make me a bajillionaire. God, so that, so that I could just, you know, give a bajillion dollars to everybody that's here that came to my class on Wednesday night, you know, and everybody says, oh, man, you guys don't want a bajillion? That's a lot. All right, I'll, yeah, I'll take it. But while you're asking and what you're asking for, it has to what? Line up with his will. So because you're asking for a thing, here's the deal. Sometimes we're asking for possessions. We're asking for money. We're asking for power. That is a misuse of prayer. That is a misuse of prayer. The disciples at one particular point, they had asked God, they said, Lord, you know, there's other people that are praying in your name and and they wanted to like ban them from their group because there was other people that had already learned about Jesus and they were using the name of Jesus in prayer. And so they wanted Jesus to like cut them off and Jesus like, no, 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 If, if if they're not against us, they're for us. So they wanted to use, you know, you know this, this power that they had seen him operate in and this power that they had received. They had wanted to use it for their own kind of greedy ways and their own kind of selfishness. There was another time when they knew that the people of that region were so wicked. And they're like, God, can't we just call down fire from heaven and just like blast them all? And Jesus was like, whoa. You see, sometimes we think that, that prayer is, is a tool. It's, it's supposed to it, We can utilize it however we wish. Hang on a second. He's God. We were dirt. And we were lifeless until he breathed breath in our lungs. We need to reverence him and understand that, listen, when we step into that place of prayer, it's not just about asking for us. It's saying, Lord, what can I do for you? How can I serve you, Lord? How can I bless your name, God? How can I serve your kingdom, Lord? What, how can I live my life for you? What is it that I could do for you that I could offer you? Because the asking is directly related to asking him for him. The primary re- reward of asking in prayer is being given the Holy Spirit. Let's read about this in Luke 11. Verse 9, he says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for everyone who asks uh, receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we see something that, that, is, that is leading us into to a greater understanding. We see that 
Here, the whole purpose of asking was to ask for the Holy Spirit. It was to ask the Father for the things that only he could give us. We can acquire things on our own. Did you know that? <laughs> People do this all the time. You could acquire jobs and houses and careers, cars, whatever. And God can actually make a way for those things to, 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 you know, for your life to inherit those things as well. But you know what? Prayer always works when you're asking him for him. Amen? That prayer will never go unanswered. That prayer will never be rendered ineffective. When you ask him for him, he will give you himself every time. And so in your prayer life, it should be less about the thing that you want to get and more about the one who can give it to you. Amen? We would be shortchanging ourselves if every time we prayed, it was solely focused on what we could get rather than the one who is able to give it. That would be a complete and utter shortchanging of your prayer life. If all you did was pray and say, Lord, I'm just trying to get this, God, and I'm trying to get that, God, and you're just begging heaven to do something instead of praying to the one who can offer it to you. Mark chapter 11, verse 22 says this. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and what? It will be yours. But here's the deal. If moving a mountain is your biggest desire in prayer, then you're missing the point. If moving a mountain is your biggest desire in prayer, you're missing the point. He said this first, have faith in God. When you pray, you're supposed to come into that place of prayer with faith in God. Not with faith in, in, in you know, the thing that you're trying to acquire from God. And I'll, I'll talk more about this. And I, I want to really get us to understand this. Because sometimes we're saying, oh man, God, you know, move the mountain and do, do all this stuff for me, God. And, and, and there's, there's times for that. I get that. There's, there's times when you are going to pray specific things because maybe the enemy has drawn his, his arrows against you and you are, you are specifically asking God to defend you or you're asking God to strengthen you. And there is time for that and the Lord is able to do that. But here's the deal. If moving the mountain is your biggest desire in that place of prayer, you're completely missing the point because he wants us to have faith in him. It's not so much about commanding a mountain to move as much as it is about you connecting to the one who established the mountain to be there in the first place. The Bible says that the earth is his. He created this place. All of it is his. And he is able to command it to move and do in, in, in anything as he wishes. But here's the deal. Don't just say God Destroy the mountain. Talk to the mountain mover. Amen. Talk to the mountain mover. Connect with the God of the heavens. And whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Psalms 37 and verse 4. I love this verse. I think many of, many of us love this verse because these are those comforting verses. It says, take delight in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Lots of young, single men like to quote this verse. 
Oh, Lord, give me the desires of my heart, Jesus. And they're, again, misusing the word. Because while we all have desires, the desires should begin with desiring him above all things. What does it say in the beginning? Take delight in who? The Lord. Take delight in the Lord. The desire is not the emphasis here. The delight is. The delight in Jesus, in the one who made you, in the one who created you, is where the emphasis is supposed to be. And if your delight has become him, the desires of your heart could be fulfilled. Matthew chapter 6, we, we read this verse all the time, and it's such a, it, you know, there's some verses that are just kind of like, you know, pillars, you know, I believe. And Matthew 6 verse 33 is, is one of those pillars. If you get that one, like, it works it's amazing. But what does it say? It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. What is the point? It's not about getting the things that come at the end. It's about seeking him and his kingdom. The things come and the desires come and the, and the, and the wants and the, and the you know, things that you have you know, asked God for, the petitions, they will come eventually, but... The point is to seek him first. The point is to seek his kingdom and to take delight in him. Most often the individual seeking a spouse or a new career or a home or a ministry opportunity, they don't receive what they desire because they want the luxury more than the Lord. They don't receive the things that they desire because they want that luxury. They want that thing that they're seeking after more than they actually want the God who can give it to them. And so when this unbalanced, when this is unbalanced, it often results in what James chapter 4 describes. I want us to read this, James chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, what causes fights and quarrels amongst you? He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? He said, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Let me stop right there. How many of you know the story of David and Bathsheba? Everybody remember that story? David was, was a king, and, and David had already now been exalted to the palace, and, and he had, you know, all the power, the dominion of the land. And, and David allowed his desires for a moment. They were the desires of his flesh. He allowed those desires to take him out of that place, and he began to covet something that wasn't his. He began to covet Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And her name, I think, is kind of obvious because it says that David, from his balcony, he saw her taking a bath. So David sees this woman. He begins to lust after her in his heart. But David doesn't just do that. David doesn't just lust from afar. David's like, I need to get her closer to me. So he sends some of his servants. They go. They call the woman. He's with David now. And guess what he does? He impregnates her and they have a child together. And as if this, you know, uh, love affair couldn't get any worse, David, knowing he is the commander-in-chief of the army of Israel, sends a worker to tell Uriah, her husband, to go to the front of the battle line. Why does he send Uriah to the front of the battle line? Because guess what? David's just trying to get out of this mess that he got himself into. David's like, man, I, oh, you know, I just did all this stuff. And so what happens when you fall into sin? You lie, you cheat, and now all of a sudden you're just scrambling. You're trying to find your way out. 
because you don't want to get found out. You don't want to get exposed. You don't want God to, to just, you know, blow it all up and everybody's going to be like, man, this is what they were doing. This is what they were involved in. So David is the commander-in-chief, sends Uriah to the front battle lines, and guess what? Uriah gets killed. And David's like, wipes his hands. What causes fights and quarrels amongst you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. Desire is a powerful thing. Amen? Desire is a very powerful thing. It causes people to just to go crazy. I'm a deer hunter. I've said this before. If you're not, hey, you still love me and I still love you. But every now and again, I get to shoot a precious animal that sacrifices its life for my family. And it's delicious. <laughs> but in order to accomplish the task of shooting a nice whitetail buck, you have to catch them at the right time. You have to catch them when their desires are stronger than their ability to discern the area. A white-tailed deer is one of the most keen animals that you'll ever find. They're, they can smell you a mile away. They can hear a twig break. They'll run at any little thing. But every year they have this, their mating season, and so all of a sudden they have a desire. And all of a sudden you'll see a deer that you've never seen all year. He'll just come out because he sees something that he wants. And guess what? I'm waiting for him. I, in this case, would be like the enemy. <laughs> when he causes somebody to just reel them in with their desires, and then what does he do? He takes your life. More people have been led by their desires and their affections and their thinking and their just wants than they are being led by the Lord. And it causes them to fall into sin. It causes them to fall into, into, into just grave mistakes, things that, that they would have never done if they were sober-minded, if they were spirit-led, if they were relying truly on God. But he goes on to say here, you do not have because you, you do not ask God. He said, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong Motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. The Lord is pretty smart, amen? Shouldn't say he's pretty smart, like he's Lord. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. Amen? They're so high and they're so wise and they're so just grand that God's not going to bless you with a desire that he knows will kill you. Some of you are not ready to receive the blessing that you keep asking God for because you're not taking delight first in God. You're saying, oh God, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And you're willing even to compromise and to move outside of the will of God just because you want to fulfill the desire. I've seen too many people make mistakes 
And they, they, just, they just run after something. They just go and they pursue something because they, they want it so bad and it ends up destroying them. Listen to me, young person. Do not let your desires overpower your delight for God. Place your delight in the Lord. Follow him wholeheartedly. Submit yourself completely to him. Surrender yourself to him. And guess what? The desires will come. The things that you've asked God for and you petition God for, they will eventually come in his time. But desiring things lessens our delight of the Lord and it opens the door for fighting, for quarreling, for murder with your lips, for coveting, for wrong motives because it's more about you and it's not about him. May I remind you, church, that in Romans 8, it, the, we, we learned that it spoke to us about the Holy Spirit interceding for us according to the will of God. And it's important for us to ask God, what do you want for me? How do you want to work in my life? How can I serve you? These are the prayers of a person with right motives. A lot of times we pray for things. We say, oh, man, I want you know, God to do this and that and whatever. And your motive is wrong. He will not bless it. Listen to me carefully. He will not bless it. You cannot ask with a wrong motive and expect a, a, a righteous and right and holy God to just, just go, okay, well, here you go. That would be a bad parent. How many of you have ever seen a bad parent? <laughs> the kid's just crying and they're misbehaving and they're not listening. And the mom's like, okay, here, just have a candy, be quiet. Why would you reward bad behavior? God's not going to reward bad behavior. God's not going to reward bad motives. He's not going to reward wrong motives. But when it's done right and you've sought after him, more times than not, church, I've received blessings of God in my life that I wasn't even seeking for at the time. They were things that had ended up just becoming a petition that was buried deep in my heart. But because I was seeking him, all of a sudden God brought it back into my life. And we get it the other way around. We're going, oh, the desire, the desire, the desire. And we forget the delight. And all of a sudden, we never receive that thing that we're asking for. And God's like, I'm waiting for you to get the right motive. I'm waiting for you to get the right motive. When we ask with the right motive in line with God's word and his will, then the things that we pray for can be done. First John chapter 3, verse 21 says, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, and we have confidence before God and receive from him anything that we ask because we keep his commands and we do what pleases him. See, that's the right way of doing it. Amen? Continuing on, let's go. Matthew 7 and 7, let's continue on with this verse. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will, say it. Seek and you will find. Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 17 says this. I love those who love me. And those who seek me, find me. Jeremiah 29 and verse 12 says this. Then you will call on me and you will come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. He says, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity and I will gather you from all the nations and the places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I'll bring you back from a place from which I carried you into exile. 
Many times, church, believers that have been saved for an extended period of time stop pursuing God. We stop pursuing God, and it was once said this, just because you've found God doesn't mean you should stop seeking him. We get so relaxed, we get so just, you know, comfortable. It's like, oh, well, you know, why do I have to seek him? Why do I have to, you know, pursue him? Why do I have to keep, you know, chasing after this God that it seems like he, he doesn't want to stay still? It's because at the end of the day, church, he's wanting to lead you to him. He's wanting you to pursue him. He's wanting you to seek him with all of your heart. And this is why a lot of people live in constant season of difficulty. How many of you have ever gone through a difficult season? And maybe sometimes you even find yourself and it seems like it's just, <laughs> it's constant. It's repetitive. It goes on and on and on. It's nothing but trials and attack. And here's the deal because, and I said it on Sunday, but I'll say it again. The trials and the suffering and all of those things that we go through, they're always a good thing if they cause you to pray. Amen. They're always beneficial to your life if they cause you to pray. And here's the deal. The reason that some of you are under constant attack and trial and difficulty is because God knows that if things were good and things were smooth and things were merry, then you wouldn't seek him at all. You wouldn't seek him at all. And so he knows. He's like, well, let me turn up the heat a little bit. Let me make it a little bit uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden they're going to bow on their knees and they're going to pray and they're going to talk to me. It's time for our prayer life, church, to become about his will instead of our wants. Amen? It's time for our prayer life to change into his will instead of our wants. Psalm chapter 24 and verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and he established it on the waters. Verse 3, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? It says, The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Verse 5, they will receive blessings from the Lord and vindication from God, their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him and who seek your face, God of Jacob. How many of you want to be known as a generation that is desperately seeking God? Amen. You know, I pray that, that we would desire to be known that way. That in, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, you know, when, when, you know, some of us are gone and some of us are just, you know, old or whatever. And should the Lord tarry that long, could look back at that generation and say, that generation sought after the Lord. That generation was hungry. That generation desired God. But listen, if 30, 40 years from now, this generation doesn't seek God, God's not going to be there. We must seek him because he is like a torch. He's like a mantle to be passed on to the next generation. If you don't seek him now, you cannot expect your children to in the future. If you're not pursuing him daily now, you cannot expect for, for the life that you desire to live 20, 30 years from now to be any better or, or anything like that. It's going to be more challenging and it's going to be more difficult because you have not sought after God. I pray that these people, I pray that you who are here tonight, I pray that our church would begin to desperately seek God now more than ever before. 
There's something that happens when we seek God with a pure heart and a pure motive. When you seek after him, church, you will find him. The scripture talks about it. It says, it says call upon me and I will answer you and I will show you great and unsearchable things. That's what happens when you seek him. When we call upon him, he will answer. He will show us things concerning your life, his plans for your life, your future, the prophecies that were spoken about your life. But it has to start with seeking him. Psalms 27 and 8 says, my heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. How many of us wake up and that, that's like the prayer for the day? Say, man, Lord, I want to seek your face. Sometimes it's like, man, I got a lot of stuff to do. <laughs> and man, I've got so many things that, you know, I got to get done today. And it's, and it's everything but seeking his face. In our times of seeking God in prayer, we must remember that it's always about seeking the person of God instead of the requested prayer. He alone is the blesser. Amen. He alone can heal. He alone can prosper. He alone can strengthen you. He alone can deliver you. He alone can save you. And so we always need to seek the giver and not the gift. Matthew 7 and 7, let's keep reading. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find and knock and the door will be opened to you. I don't know if we've seen this kind of progression of prayer that's happening here. But it's getting deeper and deeper. Amen. It begins with asking God, and it's continued with seeking now God. Now it's knocking on the door of heaven's courts. Asking is kind of the polite thing to do when, you know, you would approach somebody, right? You just, you'd ask them, you know, say, oh, well, could you do this, and, and could you do that? And, and that's kind of the, the, the first level of, of approaching somebody for something, Seeking is the pursuit of finding an answer or a solution. It's seeking out a person that is able. But knocking is a little bit more aggressive approach. I have a house in, you know, in, in Edinburgh, and in our neighborhood, we get, like, lots of people that like to just pass by and sell us stuff. And it's interesting to me because, you know, I have one of those fancy doorbells, and I can see people, like, when they're standing there, and I can talk to them and mess with them and stuff like that. I do it every now and again. Take pictures of my kids when they're walking in, you know, if, if I can or whatever. And when somebody knocks on the door nowadays, it's kind of weird. Because of technology and stuff, we have doorbells and we have other things. So, so, you know, sometimes the doorbell rings and then I get a notification on my phone and I already know a person's standing there. And then they're like, you know, and they're just knocking and knocking. I'm going like, hey, man, leave my door alone. What did my door do to you? But there's an implication of a more aggressive approach to get that person's attention. It's like, I know you're in there. <laughs> now that's creepy, you know, I guess if, if, you know, it's a salesman or something like that. But if it's a child of God and you're knocking on that Lord's door in prayer, you're saying, I know you're there, Lord. There's something about that persistence. There's something about that, that level of, of saying, I know you're there, God. I know you can hear me. And what's happening the whole time that we don't even realize is we've drawn deeper and deeper and deeper and closer and closer and closer to God. When he didn't answer it just with the asking, all of a sudden you began to seek him after it. 
And when he didn't answer just by the seeking, now all of a sudden you're knocking. I got a text yesterday and it blessed my life. And it was from Brother Prince, you know, and many of you remember him. And he's just, man, that guy's a saint. Pretty sure he's like the 13th apostle or something. But he sent me a text, and, and uh, it just blessed my, my heart. It was from First Timothy, and it was just a reminder of, of things that the Lord had spoken over my life about to remember the prophecies that were spoken over me and to wage warfare, to get into spiritual warfare, to see those prophecies fulfilled. And it blessed my heart because when I, when I went to bed last night, I just had that on my heart and my mind, and that's why I believe the Lord woke me up at 3.30 and I began to pray, and as I began to pray, the Lord just kept dropping things in my heart. More and more things. Just keys to spiritual warfare and things that were necessary for this season that I'm personally living in. You see, and that doesn't happen without the asking first and without the seeking. The knocking part and that part where all of a sudden you begin to engage with God fully every single day. It's a progression. And it takes discipline, church. Can I tell you that? The Bible says that the spirit that the Lord has given us, 2 Timothy 1 and 7, it says the spirit that God has given us is not a spirit of fear, but it's what? It's a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline or self-control. You know we need that? Do you know that we need to be disciplined people? I think, I'm thankful for you that, that attend on Wednesday nights because you're so faithful. And it's weird like when I see somebody that's not like in their place because I'm just, I'm up here and I get to see everybody. So, so if I don't see you, you, normally you'll get a message from me or something like, hey, where were you? But there's something about the discipline that you have learned in just saying, I'm going to be there to learn the word of God, to learn from, from the Lord that, that is something that God wants to have permeate every area of your life, including prayer. That you would become a person that becomes more disciplined in your prayer life. We learn disciplines because we go through things in life and we, we, we exercise that thing over and over. We exercise the things that, that we, God is asking us to do. And these are spiritual disciplines. These are things that we must do. Please, I want you to hear this from my heart as a, as, a, as a pastor in this church. Do not take my word for the word. Please seek it yourself. Okay? You need to open this up every single day on your own. This is a, a feeding period, and that's good. It's, it's, it's awesome that we have this opportunity to come to the Lord. But guess what? I want you to go home and eat yourself. I want you to wake up and I want you to pursue the Lord. I want you to seek him. I want you to pray on your own and don't just wait for me to pray for you or don't wait for pastor to pray for you or for your you know, ministry leader to pray for you. You need to learn how to exercise and use the discipline of God that he has given you for your life. Asking God is something that can be done from afar. Seeking God is getting his contact information and sending him an email. But knocking is you showed up on heaven's doorstep anticipating to receive what you have asked for. The greater lengths we go towards God, the greater the reward. Amen? 
the greater pursuit that you are pursuing God in, the greater the reward. I'm reminded of that story, and I'll close with this. In the book of Acts, we find out that the apostle Peter had been imprisoned, and and we find out that he was, he was now jailed, you know, for preaching the gospel. And he was, he was, you know, in prison. And he was held captive for a period of time. And the church had learned of his captivity. The church and the people of God had learned of his captivity. And so guess what? They began to pray. Amen. Now, I just have to say this just for a second. When we learn of a brother or sister or somebody that falls away or begins to backslide, our first response shouldn't be to be like, judgmental and oh what's wrong with them it should be to pray amen it should not be to just be like oh well they fell off the wagon and you know you just let them go and you just let them become an outcast because they're being dragged away by the desires of their flesh or or the enemy has got them in some kind of way but our first response should be prayer and so as the church prayed for peter The Bible says that an angel appeared and it struck Peter to wake him up. And he told Peter to get up quickly and the chains immediately fell off his wrists. And so as this angel is now leading Peter out of the prison, Peter this whole time thinks he's having a vision. Peter's just like, you know, this is amazing. I don't even know what's going on. He can't even believe what's happening. And isn't that the kind of God that we serve? That the Lord can do the miraculous in such a special way that we don't even know. Like, it's like you're awestruck. Because you're going like, man, what is happening now? I've had the Lord do things in my life, you know, that were just so meaningful to me. And just so powerful to me that I'm going like, God, I didn't deserve that. But yet the Lord did it and the Lord allowed me to witness it or see it or experience it. And Peter, he's being led out of the prison by the angel and he cannot even believe What is happening? And so after the angel leads him out to the city, Peter comes to his senses. And he went to the home where the church was praying. So Peter knows where this location is. He goes, he finds this house. He goes to their home. And as Peter knocked on the door, a servant girl went to answer the door. And I want us to read this in Acts 12 and verse 14. When she recognized Peter's voice... She was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening the door. And she exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Verse 15, you're out of your mind, they told her. And so when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, well, it must be an angel. Verse 16, but Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished. Think about this just with me for a second. When we pray, church, we are knocking on the gates of heaven, and it causes heaven to respond and shake loose the thing that you have been asking for. And guess what? Sometimes God does such a miraculous thing in your life that you don't even know that he did it. (laughs) You know, that's the kind of God that I know. It's the experiences that I've had in my life where God told me one day to give up my drum set and I gave up my drum set and two years later, God gave me a drum set and a drummer. The very same kid that I blessed the drum set with. (laughs) It was God saying, put on my heart to give a thousand dollar seed from the beginning of the finances for my marriage. And I had an old truck and I put it up for sale and I almost sold it one day for $2,900. And I prayed 
that night. It was a Wednesday night. I'll never forget it. I got finished with preaching to my youth ministry, and I went home, and I cried out to God, and I prayed. I said, Lord, you know my desire, God. I want to give this seed, Lord, as, a, as, a, as an offering, Lord, to bless the finances for my marriage. And the Lord knew my heart. I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I would like to sell this truck for at least $4,000, Lord. At least $4,000. The very next morning at 9 o'clock, I walk into my office here at the church. I get a phone call on my phone. I answer the phone, and it's a man saying, hey, do you still have your truck for sale? I said, yes, I have my truck for sale. He says, how much do you want for it? I said, well, I'd like at least $4,000. He said, do you have the title? I said, yes, I have the title. He said, meet me at your house in 15 minutes and I'll give you $5,000 cash. Not only did God give me the $4,000 that I wanted, he gave me the $1,000 that I wanted to give to him. That Sunday, I gladly said, Lord, here it's yours. And guess what? I can tell you and I can still testify of the goodness of my God. Nobody in my family had owned a brand new house ever in their life, in their marriage. And within two years, God gave me a brand new house. And guess what? Nine years after that, God gave me another brand new house. And it's not about those things. I want you to understand the principle here. Your God is able to do exceedingly more than you could ever ask or think of. He is that kind of God. He is able to do exceedingly more than you could ever ask or think of. There's things that I have received in my life that I've said, God, there's no way, God, I have deserved this. I have earned it, God. I was good enough, Lord. But because I have sought after you and I've asked you, Lord, for you, you have shown yourself faithful, Lord, to me time and time and time again. What a lesson. The very people and the very person that this church was praying for was knocking on their door and they didn't even realize it. (laughs) Often we ask for the healing instead of the healer. We knock for the blessings instead of the blesser. And sometimes we pray and we ask and we seek and we knock and it's Jesus who's standing at the door. But the question of the hour is, have you let him in? Sometimes you're praying and you've been asking God, you've been seeking God, and guess what? Jesus is knocking on your door. He's there. He's there. And what does Revelation 3.19 say? Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline, so be earnest and repent. But he says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Make no mistake, my friends. Jesus wants your heart to be his home. He wants that place in your heart to be his permanent residence forever. He wants to show you his purpose, his plan, his love, his grace, his mercy, but... Are you willing to repent? Are you willing to surrender? So I ask you to stand to your feet tonight. Anytime that we ask of God, it always invites us to receive Jesus. Anytime we ask of God, it always invites us to receive from the Lord. And so he is the only one who is able to save. 
Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.